Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so honored that you decided to spend a few minutes today here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Jessica Ritchie. She has co-authored a brand new book called Good Enough, and we're going to get into that uh, in just a little bit. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to let you know that there's two things that drive a lot of what we do here on the podcast. The first thing is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because as you've probably gone throughout life, you've realized, oh man, there are just certain things that I cannot talk with uh, people about because, you know, hey, I, I don't feel like they respect my questions or they... Um, you know, just shamed you for even asking the question. Why, why are you asking that? Why are you wondering that? Um, and you're just curious and you just want to know, and you just want to have conversations and not, uh, and sometimes just maybe just for the sake of learning and of learning, man, is that, is there another way? And so that's one of the reasons that we do what we do here in the podcast. The second thing is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not we agree with them or not. And, you know, today, today's episode really marks on uh, or hits on that first one. We want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations because we're going to, uh, if you're, and if you're not familiar with, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Jessica and then we'll I'll dive into, you know, what we're going to cover here on the podcast today. Masters in Divinity from Duke Divinity School and is the co-author of Hand Lettering God's Love and the co-author of this book, which we're going to talk some about good enough 40, 40-ish devotionals for a life of imperfection. And she co-authored it with Kate Bowler. And if you're not familiar with Kate, Kate has uh, written two incredible uh, books. One is Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lives I've Loved. And the other one is There's uh, No Cure for Being Human and Other Truths That I Needed to Hear. And I absolutely love both of these books. And I love that the work that they're doing there. You know, Kate does a lot of research around uh, the prosperity gospel and self-help. And we're going to talk uh, with so much of that uh, with Jessica today. But if you're, you probably know that these are not um, easy topics to talk about depending on where you're at because it goes against so much of what is talked about particularly um in american christianity and so that's why we bring the that's why i do the podcast though that to bring conversations like this um to engage in and hopefully if uh if you don't have anyone to talk about these things, hopefully you're able to find that soon. But I would love to hear from you as well. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, whether that be about this podcast or anything that you would love to learn about in general. And so without any further wait, let's dive into my conversation with Jessica Ritchie. Well, Jessica, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, one of the things that I usually like to start my interviews out with is hearing uh, the story of the person who's come on the podcast. In this case, um, you know, you've uh, co-authored this uh, this devotional, Good Enough, and then you work for um, the Everything Happens Initiative. And I would just kind of love to hear, like, what led you to the Everything Happens Initiative and then even like writing or co-authoring the book as well? Well, how long do you have? Because I was born on a Thursday in, I, I have always been really curious about my faith in a more, um, in a way that wasn't satisfied by church always. So I 
my undergrad degree was in theology, went to a pretty conservative evangelical undergrad. And then all my colleagues at school were getting like propositioned for either seminaries or given churches as like 21 year old gentlemen, but nobody was really having those conversations with me. And so I always held going to seminary some like in the back of my head as some dream that never would make viable sense because who has the time and who has the money. And if I don't want to be a pastor in a traditional sense, if I just am kind of professionally curious, is that the right decision for me? So I actually met Kate a million years ago, 2015, as she was doing research for The Preacher's Wife. My background is in the Christian publishing world. And so for the last zillion years, 15 years, probably, I've been working in publishing with authors and traveling to speaking events and things like that. And so Kate and I met on the road at one of those trips and she was like, wait a second, you want to go to seminary? You should go to seminary. So she kind of planted a seed in my head that couldn't go away exactly. And so then when eventually I decided to get my master's in divinity, I chose Duke and mostly because Kate was here and she could, I would force her to be my friend and that worked. And then at the same time, Kate was also releasing everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And was like, hey, you know how to release a book and you know what this is like. Would you help run a scrappy team of grad students and like get this book out the door? And so that was felt very comfortable and familiar for me. And then out of that, we were like, let's like actually do this. And so we created an initiative here at Duke that helps resource people with um, language and curriculum and community for lives that don't always work out. And that has felt so meaningful and hmm, I don't know, like vocational in a way of like, it kind of meets that curiosity feeling that isn't in a traditional, like lay, like a pastoral role, but it really still uses my gifts of communication and marketing and publicity, like all these things that I've been like learning over the last decade and a half. So it feels like the right fit. Yeah. Take me back to that time. You know, you mentioned that, you know, you have this uh, curiosity for it and like want like having these questions, I imagine, and yet you're not finding a place to where you can kind of engage, uh, right. or at, or at least um, find someone else who is maybe asking the questions as well. And so, what what helped you through that process? Because like I know just from my own experience, like that is it can be very maddening and feel very mm -hmm. lonely as That's well right. too. And so, just take me back to there and like what what helped you, what did not help you in that season, stuff like that. It was so, I'm a little contrarian by nature and I'm the oldest daughter of a dad who, of, of, of five girls with a dad who probably should have had sons. And <laughs> so I was pretty, um, anything my dad said, I was like, oh, then I will do the opposite. So I was not a rule follower in that way. So I would check out books from the like public library by Brian McLaren in like 2007, 2008, and then read them and be like, there's another. <laughs> yeah. Like there's another way toward faith and toward imagining who Jesus is that looks, might look a little bit different than the like Sunday school version that I've received and that the worldview that I was handed and grew up in that I feel really grateful for. Cause I don't think it would have started me on having a lot of these questions, but just the idea, like I remember sitting in a, a undergrad class at one point and my evangelical theology professor who, and all my professors in the theology department, bib studies departments were so amazing. But I remember him being like, how many of you have heard about the rapture? And I was like, well, obviously, you know, left behind, like, I'm a little afraid of it. And he was like, do you know that that was like created by a lay, a lay leader in the 
early 20th century or whatever it was. And yeah. there are other ways to interpret revelation. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. dad, what do you mean? What have you been hiding from me my entire life? I feel lied to. So I think it was a lot of like, a lot of, I had to search for other voices and leaders and, and books, but books is where I really found my home, where I found that these people were having questions and yet still leaning into God and into a faith and into a spirituality that like fit their curiosity and fit the mystery that I was kind of like wading into that maybe the faith I'd been handed promises a lot of answers that, that I don't see come to fruition in the way that I had been promised. Yeah. And so, but maybe there's a different way that doesn't mean giving it all up. Yeah. Talk to me more about that. And that really hits so much at like uh, mm. your guys' work at the Everything Happens initiative too. That's right. Of, of like the permission to ask the questions. And yet, the, like there are some answers, but in, but in a lot of cases, there just are not any answers. Talk to me about like just everything that comes with that because at some mm -hmm. point like it's like man do i even ask the question anymore because i'm not even sure i'm gonna get an like i might not even get an answer or oh my gosh, like i might not even right. hear anything so just talk talk to me about that that's right well so much of our work kate's expertise is in the history of the american prosperity gospel which is this strain of faith that is very american that believes that with the right kind of faith you will be granted health and wealth and happiness and i think we could all think of examples of that that we would like roll our eyes at or scoff at or be like oh, okay there's that mega church pastor or there's that like televangelist but i think there's a version of that that has kind of seeped into evangelicalism into christianity into even some mainline traditions that's like gosh we really wanted this to work out and we really hoped that if we prayed enough if we gave enough if we served enough that maybe the miracle would, would happen to us, or maybe we would skirt mm -hmm. the tragedy or the heartbreak or the misfortune of some kind. So I think that there's like tiny versions that we, we would like to believe, um, even if it's not as grandiose as like, give, write them a money and the seed will come back to you tenfold. Like, yeah, like that part feels like, oh, of course, of course we don't believe that we're like fancy people, but man, it's, it's an easy lie to want to hold on to. Wouldn't it be yeah. great? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if like this plus this equals health, yeah. wealth, happiness, joy, contentment, productivity, a raise, a promotion? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, talk, this, this is one of the things that I was really curious to talk with you about is talk to me about like the subtle ways that self-help and like thing, and even the prosperity gospel has infiltrated us um because like you said like some of those things you know you can you can you can mm -hmm. see and it's like okay that does not make sense and That's yet right. like and yet it's still like a an ever-growing industry that people are making like oh lots of money off of That's that right. and they're doing it somehow and so i would just be curious like to hear your thoughts on what are the subtle ways that most people don't even notice like yeah this mm. is influencing me mm -hmm. the self-help world Kate is so good on, good on this subject. She really studies like American lore of, of self-help and wellness. And so we talk about this all the time of like, just look at the bestsellers list of like how to advice, et cetera, et cetera, which is so funny that good enough is on the, yeah. is going to be included <laughs> on that list, which makes us feel joyful and horrified all at once. Cause we would love people that typically turn to that list for like, how can I make my life better? How can I make my marriage better? How can I make my 
me a better parent or a better employee. Like there's leadership versions, there's relationship versions, there's Christian versions. Like there, we want the steps. We want to feel like there's something that we can control in our lives. And I think that that's like probably a pretty good human urge, right? Progress, transformation. We want to be better, but there are some things we really can't control no matter how hard we try. And I think it's when we put the uncontrollable things and imagine that by our sheer effort that we could control them, that that's where it gets so bad. Like, of course, like there's just versions in the self-help world that are like, eat the frog, which is this idea that like, just do the hard thing or, um, make your bed every morning, miracle mornings. If, If you just spend five minutes making your bed, making your coffee, spending time, like doing personal development or devotional development, mm-hmm. Jesus-y things, then your whole day will be a reset. And like, some of that is probably true. Like some of it, like, yeah, I feel better when I like get my life in order at the beginning of the day, but like, that's not going to solve all of our, all of our problems. Yeah. So I think that's where it kind of tips the scale into maybe a overinflation of what we imagine we're possible, what we're capable of conjuring in the world with our sheer effort. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would love uh, to maybe tease out a little bit more of like, talk to me about like, what is actual helpful self Mm. self help versus the unhelpful self help. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I think self help is a lie because we are not self-created creatures. I think if we forget that we are all meant to do this whole thing together, I think that that is part of like, and of course people are like, of course we have to do it together. But I think by the word self-help, like we're like not self-made, we're not self-constructed. Like we are part of a web of people and love and dependencies and obligations that like we cannot pull ourselves from to imagine that like, okay, if I just control me, then the world around me will change. Like, well, no, of course not. Maybe a little bit. So I think when Kate and I were working on good enough, we wrestled with this a lot because a lot of the Christian devotional genre leans into this little Christian self-help kind of version of like, just pray for five minutes and then God will hear, you No, they don't say it that way, but it does feel like that sometimes where it's like, if you just do this in the mornings, then you will feel more spiritual, more capable, more grateful, more whatever. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's not. And sometimes we're tired. And sometimes like life is so hard without any amount of making our beds. Like none of it is going to solve the fact that somebody you love is dying or that you're sick and there's doesn't seem to be an easy cure, or you have an autoimmune disease that will be like this forever, or your kid's really struggling in school because they've been out for the last two years. Like there are some things that are just not fixable. So with good enough, we wanted to lean into the idea that we all want to try a little bit. Like we all want to believe that like something is possible. So the thing that we say around here is like, not everything is possible. And around here, meaning like I'm gesturing in this very, um, you know, visual medium that we're on currently, Caleb around here at the everything that happens project is like, not everything is possible, but like not nothing is possible. And so what is that like square footage of today? Like, what can we do now with our limited resources, with our limited time, with our bandwidth, with the things that are crawling and hanging all over us? Um, what can we do now? And so in good enough, we created these little good enough steps that are kind of little gentle things that people can try that might feel good. It might be able to feel hard. And I don't know, it was fun to, to think about 
Like what, what doesn't feel like saddling people with more like, okay, if you only do this, like leaning more into that self-help, but offering a little gentle, something that might be like, Hey, I've never tried a prayer practice like this. I've never thought about a haiku as a form of prayer. Cause I think what you're, what you were speaking of just a second ago of like, when we run into these questions or this mystery, we lose some of the, the practices of faith that we once had feel empty. And so finding new practices when God has had to shift kind of dramatically, or at least who we thought God was has to shift a little dramatically. Like prayer is so hard when you feel so disappointed by God. And so offering people some ideas of different prayer practices that they might try on just to be like, okay, we prayer does something. We don't know what it does. Sometimes miracles happen, but not all the time. It's not guaranteed. So maybe you could go on a prayer walk where you actually don't say anything, but you just like bask in the, the beauty of nature that like continues on without any intervention. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you could write a haiku as a form of prayer and like pull your attention to like small syllables of intentionality. So I don't know, little, little good enough steps. Yeah. Uh, I want to run something by it that I've been thinking about uh, recently and just get your thoughts because I think it ties so much into um, what you guys do at the mm. initiative. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about the the story of Moses and, and the Israelites in the wilderness and, you know, yeah. that they have, um, you know, whenever they're going around, you know, for the 40 years, they're provided quail, they're provided mm. manna, and it's literally like just enough That's for right. them. And I'm thinking of the person who is like, yeah, that's kind of my life mm. right now. Like I literally, like I still, like I still believe in God, yeah. but it is like, literally, I feel like I am receiving just enough yeah. and like, that is it. And mm. I would just be curious your thoughts on like just that season of life. Mm. <laughs> and again, it's so, it's like, I even find, find myself like talking, like, it's so easy to go like, well, what do you do in that season of life? <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. What's the advice? Yeah, exactly. Can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> we are going to imagine that your experience of that will map onto everyone else's and therefore formula. This is the, the ABC plan yeah. of how to make you feel abundance again. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, man. Well, I think that's right. I think that like we shouldn't lie anymore that, that life is so hard. And sometimes you feel like you're starving in the wilderness. Like sometimes there isn't enough. Sometimes there is not enough time and not enough money and not enough childcare and not enough forgiveness for a roommate or a partner that's driving you crazy. Like sometimes it feels like there's not enough. And so if we, if people are like, I think the other like positive thinking bullshit. Am I allowed to cuss on this? Podcast? Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. Would say, don't say any of that out loud. Like, don't like, don't say it. You're going to speak something into existence. Like, don't be negative. But sometimes we need somebody to say like, this is so hard and there is not enough. And I feel like I'm drowning, mm -hmm. but that's like the point where self-help is will never be enough. And that sometimes yeah. God shows up in the form of a friend who can, when you say, there's not enough. I need help that they step in, that they offer to shoulder the burden. Like, I don't think that we're ever meant to do any of this by ourselves. Like the, that's the deep lie of, of this very American 
belief that you should be the one that, that shoulders everything, that if you can't do it, that something's wrong with you. And no, no, we like, we collectively are doing this. And then the church especially should be on the forefront of like practicing interdependence and literally carrying each other's burdens. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I was uh, very curious and again, and, I, and again, it's so, it's so, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting asking these questions because I'm trying not to get in the self-help mode of it. Um, <laughs> but one of the things, like, especially as your role as a producer, I know you're involved in like so many conversations, like on the podcast, I'm sure with people as yeah. well, but I'd be curious to hear, like, are there any patterns that you've just heard? Like, Hey man, in all of these stories that I hear, it is amazing how often mm. this thing shows up or this thing. And again, it could mm. be, you know, about the the difficultness or the darkness of life, or it could be on the on the lighter side as well. Sure. I think for so many people, especially in the world that I grew up in, more evangelical, conservative traditions of faith, when they are faced with something hard like really like life undoing hard divorce, miscarriage, endless singleness. That feels like it'll never end parents that die before they should kids that die before they should a pandemic that like throw, makes us throw every single plan out the window. Um, it requires so much reorienting. And I think for me, it required a different faith. And so I think that's what we hear all the time is like, who who is God now? Who is God now that life has not worked out the way I thought it would? And I thought God was going to intervene. I really thought that God would intervene for me. Like I thought I'd be the exception. And so how do I even begin to imagine a kind of God that is present, loving, gracious, even when the worst possible thing happens? let alone a, a church community, right? Like it's like yeah. both things have to get reimagined the relationship with God, the relationship to the church. What are our expectations of either of those things anymore? So I think a lot of people we hear from are in that place of like, we want to believe, but we don't know what to believe in. Hmm. I don't know. That's a hard one to answer, but I do feel yeah. like some of those denominations and traditions that promise a happy clappy version kind of falls short on this front where yeah. when people don't, they don't even have the language to ask the questions that without being like, just believe, don't worry, trust God to what, <laughs> to, yeah. to, to intervene, to answer my prayers, to talk back to where is God now? Yeah. 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 And it's just tough too, especially like, and th this has been like my experience, like you, like, you know, the things of like, you, like you don't expect, like you don't expect that your prayer is going to get answered mm -hmm. every single time. And yet it's the same point of like, it, like I, I have just like one of, one of the prayers that I've just picked up probably in the last year, year and a half is just that, you know, Lord help my unbelief. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I, I have found similarly that I, I grew up in more ex temporaneous kind of congregations. And I have found such comfort in the like liturgical traditions that have written prayers that can believe something for me that even if I am like far from it, I just know that there's like generations, there's clouds of witnesses yeah. that have prayed and 
believed this before me in these exact same syllables. And there's something really comforting to just like trust myself in the family of faith in that very specific way. Yeah. And that gets me thinking about, you know, something and you you mentioned a little bit earlier that you guys do is um help give people language for what mm. they're for what they're going through. Because in so many cases, whether it be um, you know, as as you mentioned in the form of like liturgy and stuff like that, we do mm. not have the language for what we're going through and we can't even find ourselves talking about it. And mm. so I would be curious to hear your thoughts on like how how do you go about like learning to talk about these things and developing that language? <laughs> It's so funny. My partner um, has given me a rule that I can only talk about sad things from eight to 10 AM in the morning, because I'm kind of feeling around for it everywhere in every movie and all these books. Like we read memoirs all the time that are deeply tragic and yet deeply hopeful. And so I think we get it from a lot of different sources from people's stories, like on our everything happens podcast. We hear people like recently, uh, not next week on the podcast, week that Lent begins on the yeah. Everything Happens pro- podcast, we will be having Liz Titchener. Have you heard mm-hmm. of her or read her book? She'd no. be a lovely one to have on as a guest yeah. for you. She wrote a gorgeous book called The Night Lake. Hmm. She is an Episcopal priest out in California, and she lost her mom to suicide and her 40-day-old baby to SIDS, ostensibly. Hmm. Yeah. So it was a tragedy after tragedy, all within like a year and a half. And she writes so honestly and beautifully about how she found like home in her faith community and like never doubted God's presence and always leaned into the church. Cause they had always caught her before. Like she had such a lovely example of a church that like shows up, which is yeah. what our hope would be for everything. But like she named something so beautifully when she was talking about her son's death is that it was an out of order death it did not happen in the order that like the universe should happen, that old people die and then the next generation and the next generation. And so when we experience an out of order death, that it like breaks something in us. And I just love picking up language like that, like that name something that like, of course, all losses are so tragic and it doesn't matter how long you have with someone like their loss can feel like a cavern. And yet there's something unique about a death that happens in the wrong order that like, it's so helpful to have like vocabulary for it. So we pick it up all over the place, just from people's books and conversations and lived experiences that we feel like we're always synthesizing and finding like Dorothy Day uses the word precarity. And we use that all the time of like the space of living between fragile and durable. Like we're all in this space of precarity or precariousness that also is another one that we love and have just collected along the way like little jewels yeah i feel like that that's such a good point because we like we hear something like you know developing the language and i Mm. think and again maybe this is just my observation we complicate things so much and like you're literally just saying like just steal other or borrow other people's words (laughs) right 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 right. (laughs) but 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 again it's like it's so simple it's like it can't be that simple (laughs) yeah Yeah. And there's something about suffering that is seems so universal and yet also so particular. And so the universal part of it is that like from Reverend Liz Titchener, we can learn like there is of yes, what you're feeling when you have a cousin that dies before their time, like that feels wrong because it like breaks the rules of the universe. Like that names something for us. That's like, Oh, I've been looking for that. Or Like I feel fragile or I feel like really durable and capable, but like maybe we feel a little precarious all the time because that's actually where we live. Yeah. Yeah. 
talk to me about um because or i think a Talk to me about the spiritual formation piece of that, mm. like in these dark times, because again, uh, and we, I just keep talking about it. We keep talking about it. It's so easy to fall into the self-help piece yeah. of that, what spiritual formation can look like. But what, like, what have you learned about, like, what does spiritual formation look like during, mm. during these times to where there, there, there isn't an answer and like the darkness just keeps going. I think like you and like me and like probably all of your listeners, we are curious types, right? We don't stop. We don't stop when we don't have the language or don't have the, the information. Like we just keep digging. And I think that that is my personal reaction to a lot of difficulty is like, certainly there has to be a different way, or certainly somebody has gone through this before. So I I find a lot of solace in learning in the midst of something terrible, like, gosh, Barbara Brown Taylor's learning to walk in the dark, like carried me through a season. Cause there's something about suffering that feels so isolating. You literally feel like you're the only one that has ever felt this. And of course that's not true. Like you're not the first one who's had this disease or lost somebody like that, or gone through a divorce. Like you're not the first, but yet when you see it reflected in someone else, it does feel like there's this, like, thank God I'm not the only one wandering or thank God that there are other people that have walked to this place before. I don't know. I find a lot of help. So spiritual formation in that sense, I think it's less like do this, then this, then this, but I don't know, maybe we can find some like little things that have worked for other people before that maybe not like guarantees, but like Kate always one of her, like she has two tricks for like really hard days. And one of them is no sad things after 8 PM. Because the something about like our nighttime yeah. brains makes us just want to spiral continually into the abyss. And um, that like sometimes the things that her 3 a.m. self sees are true, but it's different than the things her 3 p.m. self experiences. So we have an entry in Good Enough that's about like, I think it's 2 p.m. self, 2 a.m. self, or maybe 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. self, 3 a.m. self that talks about like there's some things that you see in the middle of the night that are clarity like we are fragile and so is everyone else <laughs> yeah uh um uh and again I, we we mentioned it earlier but i think it's so helpful just to just to hear things like that because mm. like i said we complicate it too much I, and i guess i guess that makes me think of like any any thoughts on maybe why we like we complicate it so much when mm. really it's it can be as simple as what you're saying mm. right there For me, I pride myself in being very high capacity, being very capable, being like carrying a lot of stress all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think I overcomplicate it by like pretending I have no problems or like over, overextending myself beyond any sort of problem. And I could, Mm -hmm. God forbid something interrupt my productivity in a week. So I think in that sense, I overcomplicate it like that. Like I I can't, I'm fine. Nope. I'm fine. I've got it. Don't worry. I'm going to just distract myself endlessly, but don't even worry about me. But I think sometimes I need to like, remember that like some days are really hard and it won't always feel that way. And so I'm afraid that if I just get sucked into the pit, I will never be able to come out. I always picture like a, like a sink drain and that I'm like trying to swim toward the edge because I'm so afraid that if I get sucked into this, like Mm 
feeling of shame or fear or um, loneliness that I will never be able to climb myself out. And like, sometimes like we, that is the accurate feeling for the day, but it won't always feel that bad. Yeah. Hmm. It won't last forever. Yeah. Uh, On a completely separate note, one of the things that I was, I was really curious uh, to hear about um, is how do you blend research and storytelling like very well, like reading, like reading through good enough and through Kate's books and mm-hmm. just all, and just, you know, your background as well. I'd just be curious your thoughts on managing just that tension. Yeah. Kate is a masterclass in this. I think, I think she does. She's very fancy professor who really like loves doing the, like, it was the year 1701 or something. It was the 17th century. And Mm -hmm. someone with a fancy name said this one thing, but she's so personable that like stories, her stories are really like the, the, the gem on the inside is really found. And so I think she's just such a great example of how to like carry both of these at the same time. I think her best version of this is when we create a podcast together. So we talk to somebody who's usually an expert in something and Kate and that person have a really rich conversation where there's like a lot of like through lines. And so I'm tracking like, what are those through lines that they have? And at the end of it, Kate and I meet in a Google doc and we're like, okay, what do we want the wrap up to be on this podcast? Like what was the thing we want our audience to take away as a gift? And then we write a blessing together that then Kate reads on the end of the podcast. And that feels like the expert in research. There's obviously stories in the interview, but then the end feels like the storytelling part that like, what can we give people as a gift? What's the one takeaway here that feels beautiful, special, resonant. Yeah. Uh, What has surprised you the most in your work in the everything happens initiative? I think there's two things. The Everything Happens Initiative has such a diverse listenership, readership community. And it's so hard when people are like, what's your demographics? Because I'm like, well, it ranges. It's all over the country. It really ranges in age. It really ranges in gender. But the, the core of our people are like the core thing that is true across the board. It runs the gamut is that they have all had their life come apart or they love someone who has come, had their life come apart, be it they're a loved one caregiver or a, maybe a professional caregiver, like a doctor or a nurse or teacher, or social worker, pastor. So I think the, the ways that we can transcend so socioeconomic class, age, gender, like it's always surprises me they're like, oh my goodness, how amazing that this like Harvard professor that just retired is writing in and was so deeply moved by that. And so is this like 17 year old girl who recently lost her dad or like, I'm just, I'm like wowed by how suffering can like cut across difference in like a beautiful way. Cause it reminds me that like, we really belong to each other, especially in those broken places. So I think that's a, a delight. And then I think the second part is that Kate and I are 
and our whole team, we have this like beautiful team here at the Everything Happens Project that like are on the front lines of receiving people's worst days because they hear Kate's story or they hear a story that we share in the podcast or they read one of the books and then they like lean into connection is that then they tell us their worst day, like their why this just like your podcast attracts people who have been in this space of like, I want mystery. Who's having these conversations? Like our crew are people who are like, my life has come apart completely. Thank God there are other people like this <laughs> who know what it's like. And yet our team has such gentle, like holy, H-O-L-Y, compassion mm -hmm. to carry these stories that like wows me every day. Like Kate and I both declare it a good day. If there is something every day that like moves us to tears, like that's a good day. And it keeps happening. Like it keeps the like motivation to like keep serving this like tender, beautiful, heart wide open audience is like bottomless. It feels like, like it is, we are not burnt out. We are not feeling overwhelmed. We just feel like warm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think that surprises me. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've we've mentioned several times. You know, you've uh, co-authored the book. Good enough. I would just be here, and you have mentioned a couple of essays. Is there any like an essay or two that really comes to mind, or that mm. has been resonating with you recently? Like, oh yeah, man, I'm glad that I wrote this because I really need it right now. <laughs> mm. Kate wrote this one beautiful one, and of course, I'm not remembering what the title of it is right now. But it's about a tree. Kate was on a road trip with her family in Indiana. And she calls me with horrible cell service. And she goes, Jessica, I just saw this tree and I have to describe it to you. It's perfect. And I think it describes exactly what we do. And so she goes on to narrate the way this tree is like over a cavern and like breaks and like falls into the, the ditch. And yet it doesn't stop growing. It just like shoots out branches from the ditch and then grows straight up back into the light. And it was this gorgeous metaphor for like, like the, what is possible even when our lives come apart is that like, it doesn't mean that we are finished. It doesn't mean that there is nothing possible. It doesn't mean you are used up, but like there are ways that somehow through no formula that we can never figure out that like beauty and truth and love finds itself a home, even when life comes a part of the seam. So she wrote a beautiful, I made her write a beautiful essay yeah. about describing that tree in the book. And then I think the other pieces of the book that I love the most are the blessings. Cause I think those are the ones that I love having my fingers in is I just, I love naming. I love creating the same kind of prayers that I lean to when I've run out of words. I love feeling like I'm participating in that. Although I know that like liter church liturgies are probably far more sync and fancy, but you know, this is where my evangelicalism, it's like a little loose, fast and loose with like yeah. who, who's in charge of our traditions. Um, I have loved kind of naming the things that demand to be blessed in our lives. And sometimes it's our tears and sometimes it's our grief and sometimes it's our joy. Yeah. So I really like each of those entries includes a, a blessing or prayer that maybe helps name something yeah. for us. Well, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we mentioned or anything that's just top of mind? Like, yeah, I want to make sure that I, you know, mm. mention this or talk about this idea that you're thinking about. I don't know. I think I'm just so happy, Caleb, that there are people like you in the world that are like pressing the envelope a little bit and having better, richer conversations about the things that we all experience and that wish we had 
echo chambers for, like communities for. So I appreciate the way that you and Learners Corner and our podcast and world really just helps create those spaces because I think we need more of it. I wish we had versions of that in real life. (laughs) You know, so I love, we're hearing a lot of people that are using good enough with like their literal friends in real life. So I might, I think my hope is that, that there's not just the virtual version that somehow like people in your own life might pop up and use these resources like together in your actual life. Cause those are the people that can like show up with groceries on a really hard day or like, you know, meet you for coffee, those things. Yep. No. I completely agree. Well, I know that, and thank you so much for the kind words too. Um, I know that people are going to want to pick up good enough and, you know, continue to learn from you and from Kate and the everything happens initiative and all of that stuff. Where's the best place for people to go to, you know, check out all of those things. Yeah. If you go to katebowler.com slash good enough, you will find all good enough information. We also have like a little Lenten guide that you can use to read along with the book and community and has little discussion questions and things like that. Um, and we're in target, which is so fun <laughs> and like a big deal. Cause yeah. not target doesn't take all books. So we are really excited about that. So you can find us in target too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, Jessica. And thank you so much for doing the work. Thanks Caleb. So coming out of that conversation with Jessica, um, there's just so many things uh, that I could talk about, but I just want to hit on uh, two that are really um, that have really been making me uh, think and really challenged me uh, during the conversation and got me thinking a lot. The first is this is what uh, we talked about of borrowing someone else's language in there, whether that be through liturgy or whether that be through um, books or even, you know, even in this case, like a podcast, you like you listen to how someone described something and you're like, wow, that really resonates with me. That is exactly how I'm feeling. That's what I'm going through right now. And the importance of realizing that um, we don't always have to come up with our own language for it. Sometimes we can borrow someone else's language for it and how they found um, and how they were able to describe what they're going through. Which, when you think about it, that's a lot of like what the Psalms do as well throughout the Old Testament. And that's what a lot of scripture can do as well, describe how we're how we're feeling and what we're going through, just as uh, just as you know, liturgy can and books and podcasts and and in, even movies as well. Movies and music. Sometimes they're able to just capture that in a way that um, that just resonates so strongly with us. That's that's one of my favorite things about um, music is songs that are able to capture the feelings that I'm feeling and describe exactly what I'm going through. But the second thing is this, and it kind of hints to it, is our um, our tendency to complicate something that can be very simple and realizing like, hey, it can be something, you know, she mentioned the the 2 a.m. Uh, or the, you know, Kate's rule of uh, no sad things after 8 p.m. And how we could put little things like that into place. And it's like, it sounds so simple. And it's like, it can't be that simple. It's so simple that it can't help us. And in reality, it can. One of my favorite practices um, that I that I do whenever I journal is I call it moments that matter. And I'll look back on the previous day of moments that mattered to me. 
moments that meant a little bit. And sometimes it's, you know, getting coffee uh, with a friend or sometimes it's, you know, reading um, fiction or something like that. Or in, in some cases, you know, and again, it, and that's the thing. It's like it can be very superficial, but it's just the only requirement is that it matters to you. And so realizing that it's okay to have simple solutions to it and that we don't need to necessarily keep looking for something that's more complex or more complicated or it seems that it should be more uh, more difficult for us. That doesn't always have to be the answer. Sometimes simple is the answer. And so if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you and what you learned from in this episode. Maybe you have a couple of simple things that you love to do that really help you. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about things that you learned from this episode, from other episodes, or things that you would love us to cover on the podcast or subjects that you would like us to tackle on there as well. And so, oh, and if you would leave a reading or leave a rating and write a review on whatever podcast player you use, I'd appreciate that a lot. If you hit the follow button or the subscribe button, you'll never miss an episode. I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thanks to Garrett Oler for editing the podcast. Thanks to Jessica for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I think that's all that I have for today. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.